Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Exurgat deus dissipentur inimici eius, et fugiancio derunteum a facia eius. Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est opraecidium. Imperatili Deus, supplicas de precamor, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo, divina virtute, in infernum ne trude. Amen. Cor Jesus Sacratissimum, miserere nobis. Mater Dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Speculum Justitiae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus. Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. It's... It's a bit disconcerting to see um, to see bishops who seem to think that they're going to somehow escape the ire, I guess you could say, of well, the left. Globalists, communists, socialists, all manner of leftist activists. And the reason why it's a bit disconcerting to see that is quite simply, history tells us that they will not be able to avoid the guillotine. This time around, because we're not just talking about, you know, fleeing and proclaiming, hey, we're going to proclaim our allegiance to, say, you know, the French Revolution or, you know, the Republic or whatever. We're not talking about a national government. We're talking about an international government that is in direct competition, um, direct contradiction, direct conflict with God. 
And it doesn't actually matter pretty much at all how much a bishop or a priest or whoever decides to proclaim that, no, we, we, we're with you. We're on your side. The fact is going to remain. You symbolize the enemy of the revolution. You symbolize the enemy of the new gods. The new gods, of course, being the state and the media. So it's disconcerting to see that they would try to ally themselves to spend so much time talking about listening and accompaniment and collegiality and all of these sort of fluffy, fraternal, you know, semi-quasi-freemasonic, whatever, like these, these sort of modern ideas that man basically created out of whole cloth on his own, specifically because he wanted an opportunity to fight against God. And truth be told, humanity's arms are too short to fight against God. Because it doesn't matter how many of us there are, none of us, none of us, nor all of us together, have infinite reach. It doesn't matter how much money, how much technology, how much medicine or science or anything like that. The fact remains is that as human beings, we do not have the sort of reach to compete with God. And nor should we compete with God. He created this world and he gave it to us and we reject him rather regularly. And it doesn't matter how, in all honesty, it doesn't matter how faithful of a Catholic or how faithful of a Christian that you think you are. The fact remains is that we reject him regularly. Now, some of us do try with our weak little arms and our weak little legs to try and climb and strive and hold as close as possible to the cross. And some of us remember that we'll never actually have the strength, those people are called saints, that we'll never actually have the strength to be able to hold to the cross ourselves unless God holds us to the cross. So this message that I actually have for the bishops, in truth I have it for all Catholics, but most especially for the clergy, for the bishops and the priests. This world hates you. This world hates everything that you represent, everything that your miter and your collar and your pectoral cross and your cassock, when you wear it, represent. And it doesn't matter how far away you try to distance yourself from it. The fact remains is that you were given the imprimatur by benefit of your baptism by benefit of your confirmation, by benefit of your consecration and your ordination, you'll forever bear that mark. You'll forever be one of God's priests, one of God's bishops, one of his shepherds. So it doesn't matter that you go to business meetings and you wear a suit, or if you wear your business attire clerics, or if you wear the cassock with the mantilla, with the, um, oh gracious, I forgot what it's called. With the shoulder cape, with the shoulder cape 
and all of and all of the pomp and circumstance and all of the accoutrements of your office. It does not actually matter. You will forever be a bishop or a priest of the Most High God. And it is that alone that will keep the world hating you. So it doesn't matter that you raise money for pro-abortionist causes. It doesn't matter that you support the LGBT movement. It doesn't matter that you want to accompany gays and lesbians and transgenders. It doesn't matter that you're willing to put yourself alongside all of those others who are willing to, to take the death jab that was made from, tested on, developed with the corpses of countless of unborn children. It doesn't matter how far you go to reject the faith, the fact remains is they will still hate you. And in fact, those of you, this might be a bit of a newsflash, those of you who go full-on apostate, they will hate you more because you lacked the wherewithal to stand for any kind of conviction. And then you'll be damned on both sides. You'll be cursed by them, rightly so, and you'll be cursed by God, rightly so. You'll be cursed by them because you lacked, because you went through the process of becoming a priest, of becoming a bishop, of moving and shaking and trying to maneuver your way into those higher offices, and then you walked away. You said, no, I've always been with you. You've been openly duplicitous. You made your vows to God, and then you broke them. You made your vows to the world, and they're going to assume that you're going to break them too. Why? You already broke your vows to God. If you're not going to be held accountable by God, then by whom are you going to be held accountable? They can't hold you accountable because they're mere men, and they know it. And so you'll be stuck. Cursed by them and damned for your own foolishness. There are many of you. Many of you who think you can toe the line given this diabolical advance both within and without the church. Many of you who think that you can walk that razor's edge and manage to maintain both your salvation and keep from the wrath of those in the world who have already sworn allegiance to the damned. That's not going to work either. Because it doesn't matter the number of compromises that you make. In fact, it's compromise that actually makes you most vulnerable. It's compromise that has people thinking, what if they're lying? They decided they could agree with us on these grounds, and these are supposed to be anchored, permanent, eternal, immovable structures of the faith. And they've decided that they're going to meet us here. That they're going to sort of whitewash the whole thing. And even if you do believe it, even if you do believe 
in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, even if you do believe in the fullness of the deposit of the faith, the fact that you were willing to behave as if you don't, people can see that as betrayal. God will see it as a betrayal. And it's not about the judgment that you get from the Catholic laity. It's not about the judgment that you're going to get from, you know, the president or the speaker of the house or any of the other so-called Catholic politicians out there who have long since abandoned their faith. Liars can recognize their own. And the worst thing that you can do in a situation like that is actually lie to yourself. Because most people can tell that too. And God most certainly can. It does not matter how far you apostatize. It doesn't matter how heretical you get. It doesn't matter how far you're willing to go in order to compromise the faith. It does not matter. The fact remains is everyone will know that you made a vow. And in the case of bishops, you didn't even just make one. You made several. You have the vow that we renew every Easter. The vows of our baptism. You have the vow. You renewed that vow when you were when you were confirmed. You processed. You excuse me. Professed vows. In the process, several times, I'd imagine, in the process of becoming a priest. And you have your vows as a bishop. Assuming you are a bishop, because I am speaking to all of the clergy, all of the religious, everybody. <clears throat> because it doesn't matter how far you try to step away. It doesn't matter that you want to build bridges to other communities. You're a priest. You're a bishop. You're a consecrated religious. So it doesn't matter if you're a Franciscan friar or you're a Jesu or you're the Jesuit superior general or you're the pope or anything in between. It doesn't matter if you're a Carmelite sister, a poor Claire, an abbess, a mother superior. It doesn't matter. Any compromise that you make to the faith It's going to be visible as a marked betrayal of your vows. Of your supposed spouse. And we'll all know. And the politicians will know. And your globalist friends will know. And your comrades in the revolution will know that you achieved, at a minimum, you achieved your position by lying. And you're either lying to God and lying to the Catholic faithful, or you're lying to them.
The Holy Father put out Traditionis Custodis in an attempt to exterminate the traditional Catholic faith, the perennial faith, the eternal faith. And whether or not you believe that that's the case, that's just the fact. By scientific analysis, the Novus Ordo Missae is 13%. 13%. One part in six. It is one-sixth the prayer of the Mass of the Ages. And that's an important thing to understand. Whether or not it was his intent, Pope Paul VI divided the Holy Mass by six, took five parts away, and left one. And everything that remains, that last part, everything that remains of that, is couched on both sides by a betrayal of the faith. It's no longer the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. I mean, it's still in title, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. But you can tell by the dedication of the people who attend that they don't think it's the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. They don't understand the magnitude of what is supposed to be happening on that altar. And they don't understand it because you're basically, put, I mean, you're putting on a show. It may as well be a magic act that you're putting on. You don't preach about the eternal truths of the faith. You don't preach about the four last things. You don't preach about sacrifice. You don't preach about suffering. You don't preach about the cross that we are all as Catholics called to bear alongside our Lord. And in fact, you do everything to try and dodge out of the cross yourself. You try not to teach the hard things because it's contradictory to feminism or it's contradictory to the modern world or we have to keep up with the times. God is unmovable. He's unchanging. The only surprise that is the God of surprises is the fact that we continue to walk around in our own way and it's surprising to us that he decides to stay put that he decides to expect all of the same things, that he decides that the rules that he set down when he talked to Adam walking in the garden are basically the same rules, plus a couple, that he gave to Moses. And they're basically the same rules that Christ gave the apostles and that the apostles handed down to us and that Our Lady has taken time out, time and again, to reaffirm I got it. You see you see sacred scripture and there's a part of you that cannot help but think that it's an old dusty book that has to have expired by now. It has to no longer be relevant by this point. We have been preaching out of this book for 2000 years. The first half of the book for nearly 5000 years.
At some point, it's got to expire, right? At some point, it's got to be no longer relevant. I mean, we travel to space. We can circumnavigate the globe on a ship of the air in a matter of hours. Surely, by now, all of the processes, all of the things that were sacred in that book, surely by now we can update them. And yet, we travel to space. And space proves sacred scripture. The first and most obvious one is we get up into space, we look down at the earth, and we go, hey, the earth is round. And I can point to Isaiah 40, where God holds the orb of the earth in his hands. An orb doesn't mean disc. It doesn't mean plate. It means ball. It means globe. And he holds the globe of the earth in his hands. 3,000 years, that's been true. Yeah, we say that, that Christopher Columbus proved it, but Christopher Columbus already knew it because he was perfectly familiar with Isaiah 40. He would have known that God holds the orb of the earth in his hands. He would have known that, and he would have known that, yes, while there may be sea monsters across in the big, wide expanses of the ocean, he would have known that if you travel across the ocean for far enough, you're going to come around on the other side. It just may take a while. But anybody who does a close study of the Old Testament would know that it would take approximately three years to travel the whole way around. Because you can't go all straight around. He would have known it. The average Catholic would only have to hear sacred scripture once, would only have to hear the priests say that God holds the orb of, his, of the earth in his hands once to know that by orb he meant globe. And that the earth, no matter how deceitfully flat it looks, when you look out across the ocean, the earth is round. Round 360 degrees by 360 degrees. There is not a Catholic who read sacred scripture and thought the earth was flat. Not a priest, not a religious, nobody. Because we were told. Before we could discover it for ourselves, we were told. We seem to think that they didn't have engineers in the Old Testament, despite the fact that in Genesis, they have the most famous engineers named by name. You can go ahead and look. You'll find them. It's in the lineage. It's in the lineage when they, when they follow the lineage of Cain. We remember building towers, tall towers that reached all the way up to the sky. And it's kind of funny because it would have taken a long time. 
Because, I mean, we didn't have... I mean, we didn't have engines. Not like modern internal combustion engines or steam engines or anything like that. But we had metal workers. And they would have known how to do it. It's not like we just started building... I mean, seriously, like... Cages are old technology. And it only takes one person to build a birdcage... And they all and they already know at that point how to build a skyscraper. Because that's how we learned how to build the skyscrapers in the first place. But it would have taken them longer. It would have taken them long enough to completely forget truth. And the moment you forget truth, everything starts falling apart. That's why things are falling apart now. Because there are too many people who have decided that they don't want to believe the truth. And it started with not wanting to believe that the truth became man. A core, a core tenet of the Catholic faith. And the further you get away from the truth, the further you get away from order. The further you, the further you get away from the capacity to build great and wondrous things. The further you get away from truth, the harder it is to even want to build anything. And it's much, and particularly when it's far easier to destroy. And you see that all over the world today, and it's obvious. You can choose to walk away from the truth. You can choose to try and distance yourself and say, I'm not one of those extremists. But the fact remains, you wear the habit, you wear the cassock, you wear the collar, you wear the miter. You're a representative of the truth. And anyone who wants to destroy the truth, they know at some point, even no matter how much you speak out of both sides of your mouth, they're going to come for you. Because as soon as you stop being useful, they'll destroy you. Or did you not notice that was already happening all over the culture? Did you not notice that people like J.K. Rowling, who's by no stretch of the imagination an adherent to the truth... She says one true thing. One. And they try to cancel her. She says one true thing. And they kick her and they kick her basically out of her own party. Doesn't matter that the fact that she wrote the books is the reason why many people act, many of them have all the money that they have. She said one true thing. A man is not a woman. A man cannot be a woman. A, it, only women menstruate. Only women can carry children, can carry babies. Only women can give birth. One true thing. That's the only truth that she's ever held to. Everything else, she's been more than willing to move beyond. And they canceled her. And they go after her. She's the poster child of TERF. Trans-exclusive radical feminist. They've been going after Dave Chappelle. Again, 
barely adhering to any kind of truth that is recognizable, particularly recognizable to anybody in the Catholic Church, barely holding to any truth. It says one truth. And they go after him. And you should know good and well by now that everybody's disposable. The poster child for their whole movement was Bernie Sanders. And it only took one power-hungry person to say, hey, we'll pay you a whole bunch of money if you just kind of step aside and let it happen. And he was proven to be completely without principle. And while he had certainly more principles than the current holder of the office, a lot of people don't realize they kind of actually just did it to him again and paid him off again. You think you're going to be immune to all of that? You think you could stand up against it? Harvey Weinstein, one of the biggest power players ever in Hollywood. Where's he? He was completely on their side. He funded nearly every single campaign of the people who are in power right now. Where is he? You think it was principle that pushed him out? You think it was principle that sent him to prison? You think it was a bunch of people standing on their principles? If they were standing on their... You know what? Ask Rose McGowan, who was one of the first people to speak out if they were standing on their principles when they finally got rid of Harvey Weinstein. Which one of those principled individuals went after Jeffrey Epstein? And for those of you who were in in the Episcopacy for longer, how many of you actually just turned and looked the other way? As Cardinal Whirl and ex-Cardinal McCarrick, and Cardinal Bernadin, and Marcel Maciel, and the whole litany of others. How many of you just kind of looked the other way? It was in principle that finally pushed them out. It was exposure. Because exposure can actually get rid of, well, you know, some priests. Didn't really seem to matter how much ex-Cardinal McCarrick got exposed. It didn't stop the Pope from sending him to China to negotiate the Sino-Vatican Agreement. So we know it's not principle that sent him, that pushed him out. Wasn't even necessarily submitting to too much pressure. It's that he became a bigger liability than an asset. And he was no longer useful. Particularly at least once that agreement was signed. You're all basically disposable in the eyes of the world. In the eyes of the world, there's not one of you that's worth saving. There's not one of you that's really worth keeping. Ultimately, even if you don't stand in their way, you will still symbolize the one thing that stands in their way of power. So it doesn't matter if it's Pope Francis or Pope Francis II. It doesn't matter if it's Bishop Barron or Cardinal Dolan 
or Cardinal Burke, or Bishop Strickland, or Archbishop Viganò, or Bishop Schneider, or Cardinal Marx. There's a certain point where they're going to be willing to put up with you, but ultimately they hate you. And given the opportunity when they can finally push you out and push you away, they will. And you will join the rest of us in the firing squad, in the arena, in the guillotine, in the lion's den, in the fiery furnace. But those of us who are begging you, praying for you, interceding on your behalf, hoping beyond hopes, hope, that you'll wake up and come back and do what you're supposed to do as a bishop, as a priest, as a religious or whatever. If you don't come back when they do get ready to discard you, God's not going to save you because you betrayed him. Why would he save you? And even if you do manage to make a good enough repentance. I mean, some of you guys are pretty old. Some of you guys have been at this for a long time. Some of you guys have decades worth of looking the other way, of being lukewarm, of wasting time. Even if you're saved, how long are you going to spend in purgatory? And let's be real for just a minute. If you're wishy-washy, how many people do you really think are going to pray for you? And if you, actually, had to choose between, well, it's valid, or this is what God wants to make reparation for you. Which would you choose? Because any husband, any husband who looks at his wife and says, well, our marriage is valid, that should be good enough. <laughs> They're going to be in the doghouse at a minimum. And they're assuming their wife doesn't go right back to the parish and go, I need an annulment. Would you want, well, it's valid, to be what's making reparation for you? Would you want, well, it's valid, to be the thing that's shortening your time in purgatory? Oh, it's, the, it's the minimum standard. We got the, you know, the sacrifice is basically technically there, so, you know... Or would you want a good, holy, sweet-smelling sacrifice? Do you want to spend a lot of time paying the debt with just enough, like making your minimum credit card payments? 
I mean, think about this. This is this is your debt in purgatory. <clears throat> if we're just going to go with, well, you know, the Novus Ordo Mass is valid. That's like making a minimum credit card payment. And you're going to be making minimum credit card payments. <laughs> and here's where it gets even funnier. Because eventually people are just going to stop actually offering the Mass on your behalf. So your minimum credit card payment's not even going to get made for all that long. I, all I can say is that if I owed the most high 100,000 talents, and maybe I want to pay that off before, like a little bit faster than what it would take just making the minimum payment. You owe me 100,000 talents, but you can pay me with 30 pieces. I'll accept 30 pieces of silver every month. You might want to do some weight, like, no joke. You know as well as I do that a talent of silver is a huge amount of money, and 30 pieces of silver is nothing. If you want to make your minimum credit card payments in purgatory at 30 pieces of silver at a time, when you owe hundreds of hundreds of thousands of talents to the Lord, I mean, that's basically what the Novus Ordo Missa is. It's the minimum credit card payment. I mean, 15 minutes of prayer, 15 minutes of spoken prayer is the minimum payment for a layman. It's the minimum payment for 15 minutes of daily prayer is the minimum payment for a Catholic layman for their sins. The interest is accruing. And I say interest as if we weren't still running the credit card debt up. <clears throat> because the person who's only doing the 15 minutes of prayer, I mean, you know, like, they're probably not free of other mortal sin. They're probably not free of mounds of venial sin. And the person who's just doing the bare minimum of 15 minutes a day. You're making your minimum credit card payment when you've got purgatory in front of you. And to the priests who are offering the Novus Ordo Missa saying, well, it's valid. You're making the minimum credit card payment. And the worst part about it is you're actively choosing to make the minimum credit card payment when you know full well that you have an opportunity to pay it in full every single day. Which, I don't know if you're aware, is sinful. Choosing to, like, no joke. It is venially sinful to choose to do the minimum standard. Now, if you've got to work your way, like no joke, if you if you have, if you haven't spent any time in prayer and you haven't actually developed a prayer life and you're a layman and you're thinking, oh goodness gracious, if I'm doing 15 minutes a day, that's sinful? That can still be sinful? Yes. 
If you know you have the capacity to pray 15 decades of the rosary plus spend an hour in mental prayer, obviously not everybody can do this. If you're if you're a mom or a dad and you've got like 10, you know, seven, eight kids, you're not doing you're not doing 15 decades of the rosary in an hour of mental prayer. That's not like let's be real, that's not happening. <clears throat> or if it is, oh my goodness, you're superstars. Um But if you're a 20-year-old, unmarried, and you're occasionally getting in the 15 minutes, you haven't set yourself on a routine, and you've completely forgotten that Catholicism is actually largely about discipline, then you have to start working your way to those 15 minutes. And then once you get those 15 minutes, do 30. And once you get those 30, do an hour. Doesn't have to be an hour all at once. Maybe you stop by the chapel, assuming you can. I wish I could. <clears throat> stop at the chapel and spend 15 minutes in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I can tell you that my life was so much cleaner. I'd come home, I'd, <clears throat> on my way home, I'd stop off. Uh, there was a particular chapel that had perpetual adoration. And I stopped and I'd stay for, it started, I stayed for a half an hour. And then it was just like, no, I, I need more time. And so I, would, so I would stop and I would stay for an hour. And then I realized even then, like I'd, I'd, stopped at, I'd stop at the adoration chapel, I'd be there for an hour. And then I would leave from there and then I would go to my parish church because it was actually <clears throat> the adoration chapel was closer was closer to where I was uh, attending school. And I realized like I would I would leave the adoration chapel, drive back to my parish church and sit for another hour in front of the in front of the blessed sacrament in the tabernacle. And I was never better. I never felt better. I added I ended up adding more to it. I'd wake up an hour early, go to the go go stop at the chapel on the way to school, stay there for an hour, leave from leave from the chapel, go to school, spend all day at school, then go to the then go to the adoration chapel. It was it was as if I the more time I spent in prayer, the more time I wanted to spend in prayer. And I'm really kind of happy because the kind of school I was going to, it's not like we got homework. Most of the stuff you had to actually do in the lab, like it, like you had to, it was on site. You either had to do it there or you weren't doing it. <clears throat> but it was like, I, it was, it's not something you can overdose on. The more you put in, the more you want to put in, the more you want to put in, the increase continues. I think that was probably the biggest travesty was when I was done and I had to, and I moved and I no longer had an adoration chapel that I could go to. And I didn't even really, and, and we're talking in the middle of COVID. I couldn't even go, I couldn't even go to a regular chapel and just sit in front of the tabernacle, sitting out in the parking lot going, this kind of is not as cool. And if I get the opportunity here, 
I can tell you what's going to end up happening. An hour before work, an hour at the cemetery, an hour after work. And then somewhere in there, I'll manage to squeeze in the podcast. I hope. Maybe. I gotta be honest with you, the podcast isn't nearly that important. If I have the opportunity to spend two hours in front of the Blessed Sacrament, guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go spend two hours in front of the Blessed Sacrament because it's far more healthy than spending time on Twitter, spending time on YouTube, listening to, you know, listening to podcasts or watching television. I would gladly pull away from this world. Gladly. It should be that way with priests and bishops. Do you understand, if I had the capacity to call down from heaven the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord, I would have private masses like six times a day just so I had an excuse to always have the blessed sacrament in front of me. To always have our Lord in front of me. And then in truth, we'll probably spend the rest of the time in confession. If I was a priest, that would literally be all I would do is I would, is I would, you know, I would sit in the confessional, absolving people's sins and offer the Holy Mass. And of course, pray the breviary and all the, like all the other stuff. But, and even then, I ain't gonna lie, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning offer a private mass, keep the blessed sacrament right there, and then pray the breviary right in front of God. Because why wouldn't I? You're telling me I could put him right... I, I could call him down right in front of me, and I can pray to him the holy office. Right there. And so many people are just like, well, it's valid. It is actually unbelievable to me. My past disqualifies me from holy orders. And I'm okay with that because, well, I mean, ultimately God made, I mean, he... He called me back to him. He reminded me that there was something bigger in the world. That there is actually something worth fighting and dying for. And no, it's not, in all honesty, it's not the country. I mean, there are worse ways to go than, you know, than dying for your country. But if I had to choose... I'd much rather die for God. If I get to choose, I'll die for God. And so many of you out there, particularly in cassocks and clerics, in collars, you have no idea. You have no idea what you have. And you want what the world has to offer?
The world has nothing but a used, a used condom and a bloody tampon to offer. It has nothing but Gehenna, a dumpster fire to offer. Nothing but death, pain, confusion, and destruction. And you want stuff from that? Oh, I could get huge amounts of political power and influence. Pfft. So what? Useless. All of it. No, but the mass is valid. I mean, if that's good enough for you, if you're good, if you're happy making minimum payments on your debt to the Almighty God, who I can assure you is going to be a little bit worse than a debt collector calling you on the phone going, we need you to make payment right now. We're going to mess up your credit rating. I mean, if you want to make minimum payments when you could be paying the balance down and out and just keeping it and keeping the balance gone and paying down other people's balance. It's valid. It's 30 pieces of silver a month is valid. But you're paying against hundreds of thousands of talents of debt. You're paying against the debt for destroying the beauty of all creation. And the worst part about it is, is you're paying that minimum balance at the same time you're getting in bed with the people who are destroying it, who as soon as they are done with you, they will literally be done with you. They will discard you. And the worst part about it is, is that you're supposed to be a sheep clothed in wool as white as pure snow. But they're going to discard you like the used tampon that you are. <clears throat> so you can... You can follow Traditionis Custodis to your heart's content. You can suppress the Latin Mass. You can pay lip service to being a priest or a bishop or a religious. The bill's going to come due. And you're going to pay every penny. And you're going to pay every penny. And here's the thing. You're going to pay every penny and you're going to pay every penny for those of us who you deprived the grace Those of us who wanted from the depths of our being to give God the best, highest quality, most beautiful, most acceptable worship. And you will have been the ones who got in the way and deprived us from giving God what we know he wants. And we know it because he asked us. We know it because that was the sacrifice that he asked of us for 2,000 years. So you're going to be paying your debt and you're going to be paying ours. 
hundreds of thousands of talents with a, well, it's valid mass. Bishops, priests, consecrated religious, please, please turn back. Please turn back and see the goodness and the glory that God gave us to give to him. And do so before it's too late. For everyone else, pray for the church, pray for the nation, and pray for us in Catholic social media in hopes that we keep pounding this message or something close to it before it's too late. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.